Yeah, and welcome to Spooky You, the only martial arts and spooky podcast that exists out in the world that I know of. Did you legitimately just start this by saying, hey It's better than when people do that stupid thing where they go karate and they do the knife hands things. People of the world, why do you insist upon doing that? That's because they think that's what it is. I, I know what karate is. You don't need to add chopping motions to emphasize that you do that. Everyone knows what karate is. Well, actually, we're going to get into that later today as to how people used to think of karate, but we all get it, okay? You you don't need to do the hand chopping thing. (laughs) We get it. Not everybody was kung fu fighting, okay? Yeah. Not everybody is fast as lightning. In fact, it is a little bit frightening. Okay, I was about to continue. I didn't know know. what the third lyrics was. (laughs) Remember we had that hamster that swung the little, the nunchuck? Yeah. Oh, God. And then... I think it's broken. I don't think we have it anymore. No, shoot. That was an awesome hamster. But anyway, hi. Welcome to Spooky You. Hi. I'm Allie. I am the host that does not know what's going on, but we are here and we are talking all things spooky, weird, macabre, scary, historical, uh, apparently martial arts. If you have to climb irrational amount of stairs to get to the top of a very ancient temple and there is a old man in robes with a long beard and you say, teach me the ways of Dimmak and the camera zooms in on him and he goes, oh, we'll talk about it. Is that referencing a movie? Kill Bill Volume 2, I think. Okay. It's been a while, but that's not the first, that's not the last time we're going to reference that. I was going to say, either that's like borderline not appropriate to say, or that's referencing a movie. One of the two things. But I kind of had a feeling you were going towards the movie. Absolutely referencing a movie. <laughs> so we're not just talking about martial arts because both of us do martial arts, and we've mentioned it many times on this podcast. Yeah, we do. And also, I love it because it's the very... <laughs> Inevitably, our sparring match will happen and it will be, well, it will be a sparring match. Yeah, eventually I will be ready to spar you. I have told uh, the uh, advanced ranks at the studio that I need to spar you and I I need to prepare for that. And they just looked at me and were like, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Because even they don't like to spar you. They're like, JP's too quick with the hands. I'm like, yeah, he's a fast little piece of shit. So I don't know what you you want. I'm very evil, though, because I use my elbows when I block. Instead of, you know, when they teach you to slap the foot away when somebody kicks, I'll just drop my elbow on their shin when they come in. Oh, you dick. Yeah, they hate it. That hurts. Then they shouldn't have kicked me. That happened to me yesterday in class. I was sparring with Troy and he fucking checked my shin and now I have a big ass bruise on my shin. Thanks, Troy, by the way. I know you're listening. By the way, if you guys want to see something that will make you cringe and revile and horror, go look up Muay Thai shin conditioning training where there are dudes who bend metal pipes and fell trees with kicking. No. 
No, I'm actually good. I'm actually okay. I don't, I'm good. I'm pretty sure what they do would actually just break a normal shit. Yeah, fuck that. Absolutely not. No, we're good. Anyway, enough talking about that. Let's get into why we're here today. Enough talking about martial arts. Let's talk about martial arts. (laughs) Okay, fair (laughs) enough. Enough talking about batshit insane martial arts. We're going to talk about even more batshit insane martial arts. There we go. Okay. Today, we are talking about the story of Count Dante. Who is that? I'm glad you asked. So, our story begins in Chicago in 1939, where John Keehan, a.k.a. Count Dante, the name change will come later. Okay. John Keehan was born in 1939 to a well-off Irish family. As he grew up, his first exposure to the martial arts world came when he was in his teens and he joined a boxing gym in central Chicago. Okay. Yeah, I mean, pretty typical. After graduating high school in, I believe it was Mount Carmel, which I think might be Indiana, he joined the Marine Reserves and was further exposed to hand-to-hand combat, but his fascination was with traditional East Asian martial arts. Okay. Any particular type of East Asian martial arts? Karate, actually. Oh, okay. Just straight up karate, not like Taekwondo, Tung Sudo. No, let me go into a little bit of an explanation for those of you who may not understand, because today we use karate as a catch-all for all East Asian martial arts, but karate is actually a specific martial art. It comes from Okinawa, which if you want to learn more about that, look up uh, Jesse and Kump, Karate Nerd on YouTube. Very, very great source for traditional martial arts. But karate comes from Okinawa and later versions also from Japan when it was adopted back in the 19th century. It really started making its way over into American culture following the end of World War II, when many U.S. soldiers who were in occupied Japan, Okinawa, and these other places began to learn from these masters who obviously needed to earn money and make some kind of income and had all these soldiers who were, you know, having desire to learn their skill. And who brought Tung Sudo to the U.S.? Uh, we'll get into that in a second. You sure you don't want to just say That it comes right later now? in the story. Okay, 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 okay. Wait, is this a joke? Kind of. It's Aww. in the book. It's in the book, man. You know who I'm talking about. Well, that was Tung Sudo. This is karate. Two different things. Yeah, I know. That's why I asked you. Do you want to tell everybody who brought Tung Sudo to America? Chuck Norris. Yeah, Chuck Norris. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Chuck Norris was a Tung Sudo practitioner and he learned while serving the Air Force in the 1950s and then brought it back and actually started his own Tung Sudo organization alongside the one that we practice with, the World Tung Sudo Association. Yeah. But back to our story, I you really just wanted to bring that in, didn't you? Yep. That's okay. If I could just bring Chuck Norris in at least once, that's great. I'm not a Chuck Norris fan. I just feel like that's a fun fact that everyone needs to know. You know, I feel like there's an obligation any martial arts talk that you have to bring up Chuck Norris, and we're going to check off number two here in a second, but I'm not going to spoil it. Oh, I think I know who it is. So, yes, karate was brought over, and at the time in the 1950s, it was this more mystical, exotic people. Didn't really know it as well as we do today. And a lot of the claims and things that people made about it, there wasn't really a way to verify it. Also, it was a little bit more hardcore back then because 
most of the first practitioners were veterans and police officers. So they usually had more aggressive practices and harder training because that's what they were used to. And a far cry from the Kitty McDojos that we kind of think of today. I'm looking at you, ATA Taekwondo. Oh, shots fired. Oh, God. That's like the easy punching bag of the karate world. <laughs> um, anyway, so when you say they had really intense training, what do you mean? Like, what are some examples? So they had full contact sparring. Oh, no. Okay. They would train for longer, hour, hour and a half. Getting your black belt often meant doing things such as having to test your stances where someone would run at you. And for example, in our front stance, they would step on your knee, step on your shoulder, and then jump off of you and you had to hold the stance. No, no. If anyone tried to do that, I'd be like, oh, goodbye. Goodbye. Uh Uh-uh. It was a little bit crazier back in the day and also a lot. Hold on. You do know that people who we train with listen to this podcast. You're just giving them ideas, dude. I don't like this. Well... All the old masters in Tung Sudo used to do things like this. So they're not lost. They just don't happen anymore. And also a lot of the black belts back in the day, they kind of made some money on the side uh, going to some fight clubs and old school fighting it out. Yeah. Bare knuckle brawls. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there was a lot of that back in the day. Okay. 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 And I interrupted you. I'm sorry. What were you saying? After Kian was discharged from the military, he found his way to Phoenix, Arizona to train under Robert Trias at the age of 22. Robert Trias was one of the first white Americans to receive a black belt in karate and open a dojo in the United States. Oh, I wonder if... Never mind. John Kian excelled under Trias, earning a black belt and becoming an instructor himself in about two years. It's a short amount of time. Well, again, the idea of earning a black belt, uh, I could go on for a while about this, but there's really no actual value or standard for earning a black belt. It's really up to just the owner of the studio and what they think. The belt systems in any martial art are hella arbitrary. And by all accounts, Kian was a solid martial artist, tall at six foot one six foot two, I believe, very strong, well coordinated, and absolutely excelled in martial arts atmosphere, and was well liked by all of his students. However, he was also very egotistical, self-indulging, and some sources claim that he was already making up stories about himself, including a story that he spent time helping Cuban guerrillas and fighting in the jungles of Cuba. Okay, so first question. Are there actually gorillas in Cuba? Don't look at me like that. Gorilla fighters. Are you fuck are you fucking kidding me? JP. Did you actually think he was fighting with re- with real silverback gorillas? You said he was making up stories. Not like that. Oh, how did have you never heard the term of gorilla fighter or gorilla tactics? I know exactly, but I thought you meant G O R I L L A, not G U E. Okay. Oh my goodness. Okay. Wow. That is, wow. You have you're going for your master's, right? I was just about to say that. I was like, everybody, I'm going for my master's degree right now. Oh, well, thank God you're not doing history. PSA to everybody. If you ever thought. 
I think a master's degree is too hard for me. I think right now just proved it's not. <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh my goodness. Wow. Okay. So I'm just not going to talk the rest of the time. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll leave you, leave you to whatever. So John Kean, while he was fighting gorillas under. <laughs> I hate you so much fighting fucking gorillas he was also instrumental in trias expanding karate and helped organize one of the first major karate tournaments in 1963 held at the university of chicago Fieldhouse. and this tournament actually attracted several notable individuals including pre-enter the dragon bruce lee there it is i knew that was it i knew it yep i knew it i was like it's bruce lee i knew it now, Kian worked very hard, and he was instrumental in establishing karate's presence in the Midwest, and he was also helped establish the United States Karate Association at the age of 25. Oh, that's young. Yeah, which is also when he was expelled from the United States Karate Association, because Kian claimed that it was because he allowed black students to train at his dojo. Oh, yikes. Oh, yikes. Which is true. He did allow students to train, and he was very well known for accepting any and everyone. Uh, however, sources go back and forth about this claim. Some sources say that at this time, 40% of the United States Cry Association's students were black, and that basically this was just an excuse made up to make Robert Trias look bad. And as you're going to see soon, it's kind of hard to take John Kean at his word. So it's not entirely clear whether this was the only reason. Probably a bit of it, but also we're talking about a man who, despite his acceptance of all students, also charged abnormally high fees for his training, always had to be in the limelight, and frequently also quelled and fought with other dojo instructors. And gorillas. So he was not exactly the most trustworthy source of information. So he was basically trying to claim that he got expelled because the association he created was racist, when in reality there were other issues that he created in his own studio that probably more likely got him expelled. Yeah, it's probably a combination of the two. There definitely was probably some level of racism, but... He probably made up a lot of it to just look better. Wow, he sounds like a great person. Yeah, you'll just just wait. Oh, God. He also advocated for tournaments to be full contact with no regard to safety. Oh, okay. So basically, he was um, he was promoting a kumite. Oh, okay. What? A what? It It's from the movie Bloodsport uh, starring Jean-Claude Van Damme. It was... That's a whole nother thing about a guy named Frank Duke who claimed that he was the secret world champion in some blood sport called the Kumite. That that's a whole other crazy batch and same martial arts story for another day. Okay, yeah, wow, okay. Keep going. In July twenty second, nineteen sixty five, John Kean and a friend named Doug Dwyer were arrested for drunken misconduct while, quote, attempting to blow out windows of a rival dojo with dynamite caps. What? What? They got drunk and said, hey, let's go to this dojo we hate 
and blow up their windows with dynamite caps. What the? F- what? I don't know where they got the dynamite caps from in Chicago. I can think of a few places. Um, but yeah, they were both given two years probation. Well, yeah. Wait, hold on. He was already expelled, though. From the well, he still owned his own schools. Like he still owned the studios that he had. Oh, okay. And he just broke from the association. It would be like, um, yeah, it'd be like if you broke off from an organization, and formed your own. Yeah. Franchise. Okay. Okay. I, fo- I follow. I follow. So then he got expelled yeah. from his own studios that he owns. No, he still owned his own studios in Chicago. Okay. But he got expelled from the association. Okay. The then United where States did Karate he get association. two year probation from? Is that just like the law? Like. Yeah, that's just from the law, because, you know, it's generally frowned upon by the law, Allie, to damage property. You hadn't brought the law in at this point, so I was trying to figure out if we were still talking association. Who else was going to be Matt? JP. What? We're already fighting gorillas in this fucking episode, okay? I don't even know what's happening, all right? Okay. (laughs) During this time, John Kean also purchased a lion cub. What? It's fucking Tiger King, man. This was approximately one year before the Dangerous Animals Act of 1969 was passed by the state government and approximately five years after Joe Exotic was born. Oh, thank you, Carol Baskin. I already knew that you were going to bring in Joe Exotic, so I had to look up the year when Joe Exotic was born to compare it. Uh, Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Okay, so hold on. So in the span of like five years, probably less than that, he got expelled from the Karate Association that he helped create. He got two years probation for trying to basically blow up another studio and he bought a tiger cub or a lion cub. Yep, that's who we're dealing with. Okay, so my question for you, JP, is where is this guy's Netflix documentary? Uh, there is a documentary about this guy on YouTube, but I don't know if there's one on Netflix. Okay, I will call Netflix. All right, keep going. And just for everyone's sake, he kept the lion cub in his dojo and would frequently walk it around the streets of Chicago, probably until it got to mauling size, and then he sold it to the Lions Club of Quincy, Illinois, and, well, hopefully they did better. I think just about anybody would do better than him taking care of a living being. One time, and this is not the only time he dealt with dangerous animals. Oh, good. He once promoted an event in which, quote, a bull would be killed with a single blow. What was the the blow? He was going to punch it in the face and kill it. Okay. So you made fun of me for thinking this dude was fighting gorillas, and here he is fighting a bull. I was just ahead of the game, okay? I was ahead of the curve. Well, it's not as insane as you think, because this is not the first time it's been done in the martial arts world. What? In the 1960s, Master Masoyama, who practiced uh, Kokushin Karate, was famous for his recorded video attempt, or not attempt, actual killing of a bull with a single punch. What the f***, JP? Now, this master, Masoyama, had a reputation of being a badass. Oh, yeah, okay. And at the time, he would take multiple 18-month-long trips into the woods where basically all he did was survive, meditate, and punch rocks and trees. Uh, Honestly, he deserves his own video, but here's the funny thing. History has a way of um, deifying certain acts and people. And according to author of Now with Kung Fu, Kung Fu Grip, Dr. Jared Miracle, students in attendance of the day that Masayama 
punched the bull and killed it with one shot actually reveal that the quote bull was actually just a very old ox. Did did they also talk about how they all probably needed therapy after that? Well, someone probably did because it was one student's job before the camera rolled to hit the bull in the head with a hammer. Well, the quote bull actually ox. So it was already days confused and probably on death's door when Masoyama finished it off with one punch. Dude, I don't like this guy. No, this was mostly done for publicity because, again, this is horrible. This is post World War II Japan. You're not actually going to sell off a prize bull or ox that can do work. So, this was a bull that was probably already old and on its way out. But you can actually look up the video on YouTube. No, don't do that. That sounds horrible. This just disclaimer yeah, it's, it's, if you're not good for animal cruelty, I wouldn't look it up. It's pretty, I don't know anyone who is, dude. Like, that's, that's horrendous. Masayama did this for publicity, and John Kian probably had no idea about the reality of this killing of the ox and thought it was a real bull. And so he was planning on one punch killing an actual bull. Okay, well, uh, we already know that killing the bull is horrible in and of itself, but he is also a dumbass for thinking he could do that. Well, he clearly kind of knew this because he picked 19-year-old... Arthur Rapkin for the job. For what job? Killing the bull. So he bragged about doing it and then picked someone else to do it? Yep. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. That's, yeah. So it wasn't even Kian who was going to be killing the bull. Wow. And amazingly, they actually sold out seats because, you know, you're going to claim to do something like that. People are going to want to see it happen. What the? Okay. You're just pissing me off at this point. The event was set up and everything was about to go down. And then Kian came in and claimed that they had to stop because the Chicago SPCA had shut them down. Spoiler alert, he never got the bull. Well, actually, in all likelihood, they didn't think that it was going to go that far. <laughs> Even though at one point during the uh, promotional event, he quote said, if the city doesn't allow me to do it, I will slaughter the animal on the street. Could you imagine if this dude was alive with social media? I, uh... He would basically be Kanye West. But like, yeah, no, he would still be Kanye West. He would be violent Kanye West. Well, Kanye West is already harassing his, you know, ex-wife and his family. So he's already violent. Like, but this dude would be basically on the same level. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, at least Kanye's not killing bulls. It's literally this dude. Right. Well, anyway, so the same year that the whole uh, bull thing went down, John Kean legally had his name changed to Juan Rafael Dante. For what reason? Because he claimed, end quote, it was an effort to reclaim his family's royal title because they were forced to flee Spain during the Spanish Civil War in 1936. And he knows this how? Nobody knows because if you remember, his parents are Irish. I forgot about that detail. JP, this literally is Kanye West. I, I love this madness. What the fuck? God, God, I love martial arts. There are some batshit insane people in this in the martial arts world. There are that that there there's are. just one, and we referenced two others. Yeah, who could make an equally long podcast episode about? Oh yeah, oh absolutely. God, okay. What the fuck? And also, one funny thing is that one theory is that he got the last name Dante because Mount Carmel High School, where he went, was on Dante Street. 
Oh, okay. So it wasn't even. It's a theory. We don't. We don't know why. Keep going. Oh, it gets even better from here. It can't get better. Yes, it does. In 1967, he began to pursue cosmetology and opened a salon at 255-8 West Superior Street, Westtown, Chicago, called House of Dante. Are you fucking kidding me? Nope. JP. He was also a hairstylist. So, like, did he do men's hair? Did he do women's hair? Like, do we know those details? Oh, he did women's hair. Women's hair. He did women's hair. Okay. Yeah, because he, quote, said it was great for martial arts because it had flexible hours and you could pick up chicks. Wow. This dude sucks. I love it so much. No, this literally, like I said earlier, this is literally the embodiment of Joe Rogan and Kanye West in one person. Thank God. Thank God they did not have podcasts back then. Right? You know that whole, like, stop giving men microphones. Yeah. His flair for the dramatics only grew as he would attend tournaments frequently dressed in capes and silk geese. What? Carrying a cane with jet black hair. And also, by the way, his cane had a lion on the top of it. So, you know, at least he was consistent with his felines. Maybe he named it the same thing as uh, his his pet lion. What did he name his pet lion? Did you tell us? I don't know. It didn't say. It didn't say what his pet lion was named. But <laughs> yeah, he he was flashy as hell. I think even at one point he wore like a bright yellow leotard. No, he he did not give fucks. Fucks were not given. What? <laughs> I'm gonna... This man did not know what fucks were. I'm gonna. He had none to give. I'm gonna ask if I can wear a cape to my first tournament. <laughs> I will first class send you a bitch slap. I'm not going to do that, dude. <laughs> now, we get to probably one of the most famous things that Count Dante, the martial artist formerly known as John Kean. We still haven't hit the most famous thing he's done? Yep. Fuck. This was his exploits and advertisement of Dim Mach, or the Poison Hand. What? So, Dim Mach is basically the idea that someone can cause paralysis, instant, or delayed death through a single targeted strike through pressure points. Okay. Now, this concept has roots in ancient Chinese acupuncture. However, it's always been in the realm of martial arts fiction. Kind of like, um, think ancient Chinese superhero kind of deal. Yeah. That has not stopped many people over the years, and even into the 20th and 21st century, claiming to possess the knowledge of Dim Mach. Okay. But it's never been verified as an actual thing. Here's a little insight into the martial arts world. If you try and use pressure points in sparring, usually all you're going to do is just piss off your opponent. One funny story about Dim Mach is that there's a claim that Bruce Lee himself died because of a Dim Mach technique applied shortly before his death. Oh, I actually didn't know that. I mean, of course, it's not true, and probably the most famous movie version of Dim Mach can be seen in Kill Bill Volume 2. Spoilers, by the way. I haven't seen it. I don't really plan on seeing it. Oh, it's good. The The Kill Bill movies are good. I, I highly recommend them. Now, Count Dante created a pamphlet and sold it in comic books. What? Yep, for $5, anyone could learn the art of Dim Mach. In addition, they would be able to learn the world's deadliest fighting secrets from the world's deadliest man. 
another self-proclaimed name of him. So, no. In addition to Dimmock, the techniques in this pamphlet included eye-gouging, fish-hooking, and filleting opponents in what he called the Dance of Death. I don't even have the energy to respond to this. What the fuck? He basically claimed that people who learned this Dance of Death would be able to mutilate, brutalize, and leave their opponents in a mushy pulp. I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit at the end there, but... Perfect thing to have as instructions at the end of a comic book for kids. I'm assuming it was for kids. Oh, yeah, and obviously it was all bullshit, but... Yeah, and let me guess, he, he sold it at his fucking hair salon, too. Probably, yeah. There was probably a little stand next to the door, you know, like you see when you're in those travel rest stops God. and they have all those brochures... Yeah, probably something like that, but apparently this worked because Count Dante was able to earn enough enough money to open up three more dojos. How much was rent back then? Like a fucking McChicken and three dollars? You have to understand, this dude was pretty well well known, very popular, ran multiple studios and also a hair salon, and probably had a few other business ventures. So he a hair salon. Yeah, he he kind of had the hustle. Clearly. And by 1970, Count Dante had trained a majority of black belts and instructors in the city of Chicago. In fact, Black Belt Magazine even refused to do any interviews with anyone in the Chicago area because they were all biased and trained by Count Dante with no real diversity. Wow. However, his brutal tactics and petty reputation began to really start catching up with him because he was starting to be called out by... Karate Now and Black Belt Magazine, a lot of the other major martial art outlets during the time. Oh, shocker. And his tournaments also created a lot of criticism because they were basically blood sports and people were horrified when they would pay to see blood and they got a lot of it. You really get what you pay for. Yeah, and I think this was maybe around the time the Gracie Challenge was starting to go around and UFC may have been starting to form, but that that's another story. Now we're getting into the most famous story. April 24th, 1970. Ken Knudsen, Jim Konsevich, three of Konsevich's students, and Michael Felkoff and John Kean entered the Green Dragon Society's Black Cobra Hall. These men all went there to throw down. Like Fight Club style? Yep, this was a war. Sources aren't clear as to why this beef started between... John Kean and the Green Dragon Society, but some claim that it might have been a fight he had with the head instructor over a girl, or another claim that the Green Dragon Society issued a death threat to Kean. Whatever the reason, according to one source, John Kean kicked down the door of Black Cobra Hall, finding several Green Dragon members in there. According to Black Belt Magazine, one of Kean's party struck a green dragon, Jose Gonzalez, with a nunchuck. And then all hell proceeded to break loose. Jeez. In the, the ensuing scramble, all kinds of Chinese weapons from, like, shurikens, bow staffs, were pulled out, and everyone was just going at it. And it turned into an all-out martial arts brawl. At one point in the fight, Jim Konsevich was beating a man who grabbed a sword off a wall and ran Jim through. Like stabbed him? Yes. No. 
JP. John Kean stopped the fight, and Jim Consifix's students, the three that he brought with them, fled and called the police. John Kean was arrested for aggravated battery. One of the Green Dragon members was also arrested. Jim Konsevic died on the sidewalk, attempting to flee. Wow. Wow. This would go down as the Dojo War. Okay, yeah, this needs to be a Netflix documentary. Yeah, and just to be clear, there were other... This was not uncommon. Instructors during that time would go to each other's studios, Dojo Storm, call each other out in fights. But this really kind of marked the end of it with the first ever confirmed death from one of these Dojo Storms. Jeez. Gian would be acquitted of all charges, but the incident would forever leave a black mark on his reputation. His fall from grace was hard. He ended up having to work food vendor jobs at ball games in order to make up the money. His studios were off, were closed, and he got mixed up in organized crime when he ran afoul of some debts that he occurred while running an adult bookstore and a car dealership. Don't ask me. He's got quite the resume. In 1975, he would attempt to revive his martial arts career with an expo in Massachusetts, but it turned into a complete failure, and Kian was quoted in saying that, I wish the world would forget me. Two months later, he died from a drug and alcohol overdose. The impact of Count Dante on the martial arts world cannot be understated. The man was influential in establishing karate in the Midwest and making karate a household name. But because of his ego and his narcissism, he has forever become known in the martial arts community as a charlatan and the forebearer of the McDojo con man. Wow. JP. Now that was a story. Right? And I think you summed it up so beautifully by saying it was truly his ego, his narcissism. I mean, his behavior is textbook narcissist. I mean, me comparing him to Kanye West, like that textbook narcissism right there. And it eventually got the better of him. And obviously, I never would wish death upon a person. But, you know, it 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 happened. And that's kind of what you get a little bit for being that much of a dick well yeah so that um that was the whole wow i i actually kind of binged the research on that one because i was like what the hell so that being said everyone go do martial arts yeah everybody go do martial arts there's really not that many count dantes in the community anymore and there's more options for studios so you know, if you, if you see that a studio, just run to the next one next door. Okay, well, Allie, while people are searching for new studios, where can they also find us? Well, they can find us on Instagram at Spooky Podcast. Just talk to us, guys. Like, we, we like to talk to you. I, I don't post as much as I should, but... Yeah, you really do need to post more, Al. Yeah, I really do. I really do. Sorry, work's been busy. School's been busy. Karate. I've been doing karate, so... Yes, you have. Oh, my goodness. Okay, well, you can do that. Hit us up, and if you have any questions, just let us know. Yeah. Bye, guys. Class dismissed. Mm-hmm.